Welcome to the tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week on the podcast, we will be discussing Qubit, the UK-based startup that has just raised a $40 million round, Nokia Growth Partners that recently announced a $350 million IoT fund. We'll be talking about France's Numa that has teamed up with M Ventures Barcelona to launch a program in Barcelona. And also, this is a rare chance for us to have our editor, Robin, on the podcast. He had a chance to interview Nicholas Zenstrom at Mobile World Congress, and we'll also get his thoughts on the event. And finally, Neil and I will conclude with a look at what you need to know if you're a startup who wants to raise funds with an American VC, because things may not be as easy as they seem. So kicking it off with Qubit, the UK-based startup that recently announced a big $40 million round of funding. The company is founded by four ex-Googlers, and they provide big data analytics programs to make online selling easy and simple. So this is the company's third institutional round. They apparently plan to use the funds to expand into more verticals beyond e-commerce, to hire more engineers and expand into Silicon Valley, and finally to add more functionalities and features. So I think probably all things that we could expect from any well-growing company. Funny enough, they have had quite a bit of non-Google corporate VC. So a company founded by a couple of Googlers actually has raised with Sapphire Ventures. That's the investment arm of SAP as well as Salesforce, and this last round was led by Goldman Sachs. So Qubit, whose name comes from Quantum Bit, says that today over half of their business is actually coming from outside of e-commerce, from areas like travel, finance, and e-gaming. And the company, which was founded in 2010, counts over 300 customers, including brands like Topshop and Walmart-owned Asda. So this latest round brings them to a total of $76 million raised to date. Yeah, so this was an interesting round. Um, I mean, from my perspective, mainly because I'd heard of them, but don't really know too much about them. And then I was thinking, you know, a couple of years ago, if a European company raised 40 million, then you would know that company before they did that. These days, I feel like, you know, every other week, there's a company, a European company raising $40 million. And I've, yeah, I've kind of heard their name, but I don't really know much about them. And that's dramatically changed in the last couple of years, because you would know pretty much every company who was at that kind of stage. Whereas now Europe has such a strong pipeline that you can get these kind of 40 million, 30 million rounds, 50 million rounds coming up. And they've pretty much gone under the radar. You know, we've spoke recently about student.com, they raised 60 million and I've barely heard of them. And that would never have been the case before. And I think that really speaks to the strength of the European scene right now. And in particular, the pipeline of strong companies that are coming through and strong companies that are kind of raising these big amounts at A, B and C. I think you definitely have a point with that. And the other thing that I would even add to that, I would just say that probably the first rounds of funding, we have done so well to kind of fill the funding gap in early stage that we don't even hear of companies anymore when they raise their first rounds. Yep. It's become so common. So now when we actually get to the later rounds, that's when we're hearing about these guys. So I think that's probably also another trend that we're seeing. Definitely. So now Nokia Growth Partners. So I've 
going along our, our usual trend of announcing a new fund every week on the podcast, we have another one. This week, they have announced a new $350 million fund dedicated to IoT. So this is a very ambitious project, definitely very timely with Mobile World Congress this week. So that's where Nokia's CEO, Ranjeev Suri, announced the new fund. The IoT that Nokia is particularly interested in includes connected enterprise, consumer solutions, connected car, digital health, and obviously anything big data and analytics related to those areas. Um, so that should cover a lot of ground. Yeah, that's certainly spreading their bets there in terms of this pretty loose definition in terms of what IoT is and kind of what areas they're focusing on. I'm very interested that they're kind of focusing or saying that they're going to focus on connected car as part of that. I think connected car could be such a re- like a really big vertical and area that Europe could really excel in. I mean, similar to fintech in a way, it's, you know, we had the old financial institutions, we have such a heritage and history in terms of finance, but, you know, now we have tech, we could go and disrupt that industry. Similar to the car industry, Europe has so many kind of progressive car companies, you know, Volvo, BMW, Audi, just to, to name a couple off the top of my head. I really believe that Europe is well positioned to take advantage of connected car technology, not just from the, the firms themselves, so the companies uh, that are already operating, it, operating in that space, but then from kind of people who used to work at those companies going into startups and kind of innovating around the connected car technology, similar to the way that people came out of more traditional banks and went into fintech startups. So for me, I think connected car is a, has a really bright future in Europe. So I'm kind of keen to, to see how much of this money goes into there. Yeah, I think a very good point about Europe being well-placed to take on the connected car space. They have also recently been really, this is Nokia, really been talking up 5G. And obviously, this goes hand-in-hand with the development of the new use cases that they're going to be funding through through this new fund that they've just launched. So the money will not be entirely dedicated to European startups. But what is also very interesting is that on their website, they seem to be really targeting growth stage companies. Yeah, see, I thought this was a little odd, but now you say that it's not just European startups and perhaps it's a little easier for me to digest. But in my mind, you know, how many growth stage companies are there in IoT? It's a fairly kind of new area that has only recently kind of really taken off, particularly in terms of investment in the last year or so. So I don't imagine there are too many growth stage companies for for this fund to be invested in. So it might be a little kind of too early for that, in my opinion. But what's certainly in IoT right now is these companies popping up in, say, connected car in these IoT spaces that do need funding. So yeah, a little surprised that, I mean, it's a big fund, but a little surprised that it's being targeted at growth stage companies, because from my knowledge, at least, I, I can't imagine there is that many to choose from at this time, although there may well be in the next year or so. Yeah, I think in terms of deal flow, you know, I do think that, you know, in the next year, we will we'll see those companies come around. Some interesting stats. The fund has five international offices and has made 60 million in investments in 2015. So I think uh, this is a really exciting space. And I think we'll have to definitely keep our eye out on what they're going to be doing. Moving forward, Francis Numa has teamed up with M Ventures Barcelona to launch a program in Barcelona. So for anyone who doesn't know Numa, it's France's first accelerator, was initially known as Le Camping. They've now rebranded. This French kind of innovation network has started to expand abroad. And one of their latest programs is in Barcelona. So the six-month accelerator program that they've launched there will be dedicated to mobile startups. 
But unlike the early stage program in Paris, this one will be working with 10 teams that are in expansion or growth stage. Thought that's kind of an interesting twist. Numa takes a 6% stake in the startups and provides up to 50,000 euros per team uh, to cover different costs, which could now even include relocating to Barcelona. So I think what's also very interesting to note about this is that we're starting to see a growing interest in Spain and Portugal from other European countries. I think we've seen Web Summit and Second Home announce expansion to Portugal. Now we're seeing accelerator programs, NUMA and the family go after Spain. I think it's very interesting to see a lot of less classical expansion. I think previously we would have seen kind of a jump to the UK or somewhere else. And they're potentially going after bigger market opportunities in the less developed ecosystems. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're kind of following where the attention is right now, right? So this, the thing that I see about Lisbon is a lot of people are excited about it. A lot of people are kind of acting on this now to act early because they see a promising ecosystem there. I think there's a long way to go before kind of Lisbon does become this next Berlin or, or whatever people want to call it. I mean, when you look at the investment that's going there, the exits that go in there, I mean, there's practically nothing happening. So when you when you think about other places around Europe that are still cheap to live, have more capital already, you know, off the beaten track in terms of they're not London or Berlin or Stockholm. There's quite a few. So Lisbon is almost at the moment kind of having this, I don't know, mountain or snowball build up in terms of its reputation as a good place to start a business. I don't really doubt that. I think, you know, it is a cheap and it's kind of, it's almost plug and play. You can start a company quite easy. So I understand the advantage there. But I still think it's such early days that we shouldn't be getting too excited about Lisbon yet, especially when you look at the numbers. But I guess you have to make a bet, right? So this is why these organizations are going after this, because often the sad thing is where the hype goes, the money follows, then everything else goes into place as well. So it may be a case of a self-fulfilled prophecy for Lisbon, but I wouldn't get too overly excited at this stage. Yeah, and I think these guys are also banking on the fact that they could be first in these markets. Yeah, They don't have a lot of accelerators. They don't have a lot of big international conferences. They don't have a lot of second home style co-working spaces. So I think, you know, definitely they're, they're taking advantage of that. But like you say, they're not at the same level of the other markets. So uh, now we have a kind of rare opportunity to have our editor, Robin, on the podcast. So last week he was at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. He had the chance to catch up with none other than Nicholas Zenstrom, who many of you know we named Person of the Year for 2015. So hello, Robin here from TechEU. I'm here with Nicholas Zenstrom, famously founder of Kazaa and Skype, and now venture firm called Atomico, which has been around for... 10 years almost, right? Yeah, 10 years uh, this year. And are you happy with the last 10 years, how it's evolved? Yeah, you know, when we started Atomico in 2006, the vision was that great companies would come from everywhere, and particularly Europe, with, with Skype really being the first kind of um, a global success story outside of Silicon Valley. And uh, we thought that, that there would be a lot of great companies, but you know what, I would not have expected Europe to produce $40 billion companies in this time frame. Yeah, it's been been great few years. But still, um, you know, there are many skeptics that are still pointing out the huge difference in the size of these unicorn companies because they can be over a billion dollars, but they're not $40, $50 billion companies, you know. Um, And also the amount of funding that's going into European tech is growing, but it's not anywhere near the size of Silicon Valley right now. So so what do you say to people who argue that? You know what? 
first of all, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not that we have to take market share away from Silicon Valley because there's just more and more companies being created and the tech sector is growing and becoming bigger. And what is exciting, though, is that the European tech ecosystem was really started after the dot-com uh, era when everything was wiped out. And so we, it's just uh, maybe 10, 12 years uh, old ecosystem. In that time frame, we've come quite a long way. Silicon Valley has existed for 40, 50 years, and they've gone through generations and generations. What we can see today is that there are signs of clear uh, um, thriving ecosystems. Places like uh, London, Stockholm, Berlin are, are, are now very, very strong ecosystems. You see very strong uh, supply of seed and Series A funding. And what's really exciting is that a lot of successful entrepreneurs are reinvesting. And I think that's very, very important because entrepreneurs can give better advice as well. You see people, at, as students as, at, at universities, both business schools and, and technical universities, are more and more considering working for a startup or becoming an entrepreneur themselves much more than 10 years ago. And now you have a lot of people who worked for some of these earlier successful tech companies in Europe. They've learned so much from the founders and they go out and start their own companies. And these are all the ingredients that you need to have a thriving ecosystem. And that is now an irreversible trend. But really positive signs, lots of maturation for sure. Um, but also still a lot of barriers. So what do you think the, the biggest problems facing the European taxi right now are? You know, there, there, there are always challenges. To, you know, starting companies and building and scaling companies is not trivial, you know, regardless of where you are. And uh, some of the challenges we have, you know, is, is uh, experience. Uh, if you ask startup companies, the number one challenge they would say is access to talent. It's, they would not say bureaucracy or uh, fragmented European market. I think that one, you know, you can also, um, in, in Europe we have, we do have a funding gap though. Uh, while we have good supply of funding on seed and series A, when it comes to series B and later, we have a big funding gap where US has 14 times much uh, capital compared to Europe. So and that's something that we're trying to address at Atomico to be an investor of choice for these entrepreneurs as they're scaling their businesses. So thank you, we just awarded you with the title of Person of the Year in 2015, and not just because of your entrepreneur and investor track record, but also because of your involvement with the European Commission to kind of change things for the better. Um, including the European Tech Alliance. So what yeah. can you say about that? Sure. So, well, first of all, thank you very much. It was very, very honored to receive, receive that, uh, that prize. Um, you know, the European Tech Alliance was, was started uh, by several of Europe's more successful uh, tech companies, startup companies that maybe now becoming more scale-up companies. And I think that's also interesting because it wasn't until now that, that the European-born tech companies got together in an alliance, uh, because I think before there were your smaller companies. The objective with the European Tech Alliance is to be a speaking partner with the European Commission and to give advice uh, on specifically on the digital single market. Well, let's hope it brings the change that we need in Europe. Um, thank you very much, Nicholas, for taking the time. Thank you very much. Time. Pleasure. Great that Robin had a chance to catch up with Nicholas, especially after we named him TechEU Person of the Year. It was very timely for him to catch up with him. So great to hear from him in person. 
Yeah. And so now we have a chance to kind of pick uh, Robin's brain on what he heard at Mobile World Congress. So, Robin, any, I don't know, kind of big hot news that we should know about? Kind of what were your impressions of the overall event? Hey, Roxanne. Hey, Neil. This is actually my very first time on the TechEU podcast. So thank you very much for having me. So yeah, I was in Barcelona this week, along with about 100,000 other people. There was the Mobile World Congress, the annual trade show for the mobile industry. But there was also Mobile Sunday, which we co-organized with a great lineup of speakers. And then there was the Four Years From Now conference, uh, which is basically a sister event to MWC, revolving mostly around innovation, entrepreneurship, and startups. So I went to all of these events. I spent all of two hours only at the actual Mobile World Congress, but I did get a sense of what the main topics were this year. So there were some announcements of new smartphones, smartwatches, tablets, etc., of course. Um, but I think that what really caught the headlines this year was the virtual reality technology, both on the hardware and the software side. Saw some exciting devices and, and content and applications for virtual reality devices. So I think that caught a lot of the attention at the show. And then also from the infrastructure and the telco side, uh, a lot of the conversation revolved around 5G. So the next generation of uh, wireless networks, which, you know, both virtual reality and 5G uh, are going to take a few years to hit commercial availability and mass market appeal. But still, there was a lot of innovation that you can already see at the show that this technology is going to be quite groundbreaking in many ways for many industries. And any interest in startups, any in particular stand out for you, any catch your eye? At the Four Years From Now conference, there were a lot of startups exhibiting. Uh, I didn't get to see all of them, of course, but there were a couple of startups that really caught my attention this year. I won't highlight all of them. Um, I'll sort of I cherry picked four of them. One's Carve, which is basically the world's first wearable device that helps you ski better. So, so it's a wearable device that you can strap onto your ski boots and also connects to your smartphone and it analyzes your skiing technique in real time. So it provides feedback on the way you ski and what, what can be improved. So obviously that's a niche audience, but I thought that was kind of an, an, a nice device, also very well designed. The second one was Mimi, which is an audio personalization software startup that's making a smartphone tools that you know enable better hearing, um, either for, for medical applications on the device, but also just for listening to music. So it's very, very hard to explain what was so cool about it. You kind of have to hear it, but remember the name Mimi. Fourth one was Main Tool, uh, which is essentially a hardware company that makes a smart strap for watches rather than a smart watch. So they work with smart watch makers or, or regular watch makers to make their devices smart simply by you know adding technology and sensors to the strap rather than the actual timepiece. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then number four was Palalink, uh, which is a mobile application combined with a wearable tech accessory for uh, recovery support, and which is currently uh, focused on recovery from, from alcoholism and drug addiction uh, specifically. So those are the four ones that really stood out for me this year, um, but there were a lot more. So I also keep an eye on TechEU because we're going to be posting the winners of the Four Years From Now Awards. You know, it'll be up probably by the time you're listening to this podcast. So keep an eye out. Super. Well, really, really great to have Robin on the podcast. And now on to our final topic, and one that seems to always get a lot of interest from European startups, no matter how much capital we have in Europe, is raising funds with American VCs. So Daniel Glazer of Friend Frank's Tech Group wrote a fantastic article on tech.eu that I encourage everybody to read if they haven't already. He's mapped out essentially four scenarios in which European startups are most likely to be able to raise funds with you. 
US VCs. So I think a lot of people try. He's kind of picked the ones, the scenarios that make people the most successful. He goes into some really great and necessary topics like visa and relocation. I think some of the details that people often overlook, type of visa you get can have a huge impact on, on situations down the line. But I have to say one thing that I think people often don't think about is tax. And he says, and very rightfully so, that U.S. has a high corporate tax 40%, which is federal and state combined, compared to 20% in the UK or 12% in Ireland, just to compare a little bit with Europe. He goes on even further to say that companies that flip, so they have a US headquarters or they end up moving their headquarters to the US, down the line, they're going to have a really difficult time avoiding tax if they want to switch to outside of the US. So I think definitely a lot of really interesting points. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point as well, because that's one of those things that you just at the time you don't really consider, I'd imagine, you know, you're thinking about you're going to raise some money from USVC, you're going to set up an office in America, things are going great. And you're not really going to think about down the line, this could have tax implications or not many entrepreneurs or startups are kind of thinking in that way. So I think it's really good that he kind of pointed out the kind of the risk and the opportunity that exists for doing that. I mean, I would just like to point out, I think these days, European companies not only don't need to do that, but can also negotiate terms with USVCs. I mean, TransferWise, very famously, with Andreessen Horowitz, they actually said, we won't go to the US yet. And Andreessen didn't invest. TransferWise continued to, to gather momentum. And Andreessen came back in on the latest round and invested and TransferWise are still located in London. So the power is with European companies now more than it was in that dynamic between US VCs. So while Daniel points out, you know, it's it's very rare that US companies will invest if you don't move over. I think that that dynamic is slowly changing now. And European companies definitely kind of have a stronger say in that argument and can still encourage or attract US VC, but remain in Europe. So I think that that is a possibility now. And you know, as you said at the beginning, there, there's so many more European funds now. Actually, there's less of a need to do this as well. So you need to be thinking about what are the real advantages of going with the USVC. I mean, obviously, if, if you want to go after the American market, it makes a lot of sense. But outside of that, there's nothing saying that a USVC is better than a European VC just because they are based in the Valley or, or whatever. Um, so I would say, think very clearly about what the advantages and disadvantages are. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I think one thing that we have mentioned before on the podcast is the lack of growth capital in Europe. So I think at that stage, it could make a lot of sense to bring on board an American VC, but that's, that's normally so far down the line that you don't need to move to the US. And actually, that's a, that's a trend that we're starting to see more and more of in Europe. But I think definitely that example was terrific because I think it points to the fact that European startups now have the power. It's not the American VCs who get to kind of have their way or the highway. So Something to keep in mind for all the startups that are interested in expanding. Definitely. And that's it for this week. We finally let Robin on the podcast after many weeks of, of trying to prevent him. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> But let us know if you enjoyed hearing from someone else on the podcast. Let us know. Give us some feedback on the topics we cover today. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Acast. Please do subscribe to the show. Leave a review. It helps other people find the show and hear what's going on in the European tech scene. We're on Twitter at Neil SW Murray, at Roxanne Barza, at Tech underscore eu and obviously the website is tech.eu but that's it for this week we'll be back next week 
Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Neil.